Hey everybody, uh, we are Jack Allison, Jonathan Neil Brown, and Leslie Lee the Third, and this is Struggle Session. I wanted to talk about the Hawaii Five O thing I've been reading about the last few days. Have you have you heard about that, Jack? No, but I'll look it up right now. Basically, Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park, who are like the stars of the show, were sick of being only credited as co-stars or as supporting leads when Scott Kahn, James Kahn's son, and this other guy, Alex O'Laughlin, were getting the highest paid, despite uh, Kim and Parks being the arguably the main characters. And uh, Hawaii Five-0 is an ensemble show. It's also, you know, typical CBS crap, so it's not really my thing. But from the episodes I've seen, it was very clear that they were all equally leads. There was no hierarchy in Khan and O'Laughlin. Uh, they're not more important than, than Daniel Day, Kim, or Grace Park. Like, they were just, they were e- either equal co-stars or... They are, you right. know, th- th- there's, there's there no, no way to tell this story without all of these characters. Right. There's no, di- yeah. there's no discernible difference in the scope of their role. And for years, for, I guess, seven years, which is crazy that a remake of Hawaii Five-0 has been on for seven years. That's fucking nuts. But uh, <laughs> for years, I guess that they've been okay with that. And, or that was just what was acceptable under the contract. And then in negotiations, Daniel Day, Kim, and Grace Park left. They said that it was bullshit that as Asian-American actors and in a show set in Hawaii, they were getting paid less than, you know, James Kahn's son. It makes no fucking sense. Now, if you go on Deadline, there is a huge op-ed from from, from these 70-year-old chuckle fucks. It's uh, Mike Fleming and Peter Bart, the idiots who took over from Nikki Fink when uh, Jay Penske bought Deadline. And... Deadline put out this op-ed basically arguing that, well, Scott Kahn and Alex O'Laughlin are stars, and Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park are not stars, and it has nothing to do with race. And first of all, as a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, you know, I'm obsessed with uh, Grace Park. I think she's incredible talent. Daniel Day Kim is also... One of the guys that was on Lost. Yeah. So, yeah, these are two, you know, successful TV stars. stars. Yeah, like they're, they're too successful, and they—they're. I mean, I'm sorry, I have to say, they're two of the most beautiful-looking people on TV. <laughs> like, if they can't make it, if they can't just make the same amount of money as Blandy McWhiteface and Blandy McWhiteface <laughs> two on TV, like, what hope do any other Asian actors or actresses have? And this is a show set in Hawaii. You know, Hawaii is full of Pacific Islanders and Asian people. It's the fucking place. I I, I can understand why companies try to get away with this bullshit. But why, like, why would any reporter, like, want to stand for fucking Scott Kahn? It makes no sense. Well, it gets even weirder because if you read the op-ed, the main argument, I forget if it's from Barton Fleming, they're also interchangeable. They literally read exactly the same. They've both been writing for the same crappy trade since the 70s. They argued that there is no way that CBS paying these two Asian American actors less is racist because Les Moonves' wife is Asian. That was the argument. 
Well, oh he's got an Asian wife. I don't even, is this like it's in, in oh, and talking about race well, and we're, country. We're really getting into it. Like, I wonder what Sumner Redstone has had to say about Asians. Well, uh, he's, I'm sure, hired many Asian prostitutes. <laughs> I'm sure he's hired prostitutes of all races. That's my favorite brand of court deposition, by the way, is like, uh, who's the guy, the Clippers guy again? Donald Sterling. Yeah, Donald, Donald Sterling and Sumner Redstone. Like, all these guys get into court and, like, have to like talk about like the orgies they've been in like while you know drooling uh, um uh, those are my favorite court depositions ever yeah did you ever hear the uh i mean yeah these guys are in their 80s and some of the redstones in his 90s donald sterling's in his late 80s both clearly have dementia and yeah. did and just to, in case anybody doesn't know some of the redstone is a billionaire who does not have a face there's no face <laughs> viacom viacom is yeah Viacom is CBS, it's MTV, it's Comedy Central, it's VH1, it's uh, it's BET, I think, uh, and yes. uh, what Nickelodeon. It's yeah, it's 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 in parts of the CW. It's parts all, of the, all under the purview of this one melting man. Yeah, and Paramount as well. Yeah, all owned by one extremely extremely old dude who uh, likes having orgies with Robert Evans. <laughs> <laughs> Well, who would it? I mean, yeah, truly. That actually does sound like a good time. Oh, gross. Um, so let's get back to Hawaii Five O. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's the uh, idea I, that uh, that stars, right? Hollywood over the last few years has really been tooting their own drums and, you know, tooting their own horn. Not fucking tooting their own drums. What the fuck? They've been tooting their own <laughs> horn that... That's a little yachty. Uh, that's a little yachty <laughs> first. <laughs> Blowing you like a cello to in your own drums. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm 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 out of it. Uh, but it's it's this Hollywood has really been sucking its own dick over the last few years about how increasingly diverse it is. I saw a big announcement that Lucy Liu's gonna direct like the Loot Cage premiere for season two, and it's a big deal because Lucy Liu's a woman and not, you know, that Lucy Liu's talented. It it and they, they they talk about how diverse they are as an industry, as a monolith in the trades. You'll see it in Variety. You'll see it in Hollywood Reporter. You'll see it on Deadline. You'll see it everywhere. Just the constant touting of diversity. But what right. diversity in Hollywood actually means is the same old fucking white people are still the stars, but that they'll take character actors and supporting actors and they'll cast, uh, you know, they'll, 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 like, they'll take a a character named Matt and turn them into Martha. And then Martha's Hispanic, but also Martha's in like three scenes. Like if you want to be a side character, it has, it has never been the best time to be a non-white actor. Like I have been told at auditions, like you are great for the part, but you're white and you're straight. And I understand that because like the parts I'm reading for are not main characters. They're for supporting roles. And you're not going to see the system actively go out of their way to make movies and shows that are actually with characters that aren't like these same old white, because they're obsessed with stars. The system's obsessed with stars that don't really exist anymore. That's why you can see Tom Cruise can do whatever the hell he wants, even if it flops and you know, it'll make all its money back in China. They don't even give a shit anymore. That's why Disney can get away Tom, with Tom Cruise rules. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to hear yeah, yeah, talk yeah, about no, Tom slander, no slandering of Tom Cruise no. or the church of Scientology. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, we, I, I'm looking to work again in Hollywood. So no I'm slandering of slaves. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, Build I mean, his, Jack Jack was one of the guys who built one of his motorcycles for free. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, like, I do think that it is good that Hollywood is getting more diverse. Um, you know, uh, we have a highly diverse group of extremely attractive and fuckable people. Um, they're all different colors and they're all extremely fuckable. Well, that's another weird thing, too, is that the idea of diversity seems to be about maintaining that veneer of fuckability. I like watching old movies, and, like, one of the interesting things about old movies is that the star is usually beautiful, while every, like, character actors in movies used to be really ugly. And it's not just that they're claiming that they're being more diverse while they're not being more diverse. It's that they're, like, pushing up the attractive quotient for a lot of actors. Like, American Hustle... Like, there's no reason why Christian Bale had to gain 70 pounds, like, when there is, like, an action. Well, it's fun for him. It's fun for him, but there's, like, so many fat dudes. There are fat guys who can do that, like, yeah. who are actually fat. Where is the fat diversity? I mean, I, it has, you know, <laughs> I, I think that's an interesting point, Leslie. You said it, not me. <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing is, like, you know, as much as it pissed me off to read all those articles about how they were getting screwed over, and they were, like at the end of the day, like I feel like there's a very liberal, I it's a very liberal thing to obsess over actor pay at the high end, right? Agreed. Like, like it's a very like it's a very limited thing because even if all of this stuff was equitable at the top, like how many people does that actually help? Like right. it, it only it only helps the people who win the genetic and life lottery and get to be that top level actor and then get paid the same amount. You're on the money, man. Well, if, one of, if, if, if you have a political belief um, about how much money uh, the star of the Hunger Games should get paid, um, I'd say that that's probably not the most important issue facing uh, this country. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's bizarre to me that uh, Jennifer Lawrence thinks that people can look at her as a victim of the pay gap when the only gap is between her and Robert Downey Jr. It's got... <laughs> That's not that's not that that's not a gender thing. That's two wildly overpaid people. Like that's 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 the point zero zero one percent of celebrities that make so much more money than you know people who spend their days in voiceover booths or who are you know doing work as, as background actors or day players or really the majority of actors in general. Most actors cannot make a living on their own. Most actors, uh, I think, make like. $20,000 a year or less doing acting, like the majority of them. So the idea that like you can either be a wildly successful celebrity with everything you've ever wanted with, you know, the class issues being between really like one or two people at most versus, I don't know, like, like all those people in that stadium in Gotham city, how many of them were had, had actors access pages and how mm. many of them weren't white and how many of them were women and how many of them were getting paid less than other people we we don't know because we don't even care we don't care about extras we don't care about day players we call them that guy like it's a funny <laughs> like like dehumanizing them is like hip it's very yeah. strange to me yeah uh, and that, that was so, that's something that actually came up this week in another internet story like the um this actress who was on the sitcom for LL Cool J, I think it was in the house or something like that. And she was like an actress on it. And then she got found on the street as a drug addict in like Atlanta or something. And like LL Cool J is trying to find her. I'm wondering like, why didn't she get taken care of? If she's this actress on a, a successful actress on a 
sitcom that ran for you know seemed like 10 years like what happened to her like where like i'm much more worried about her than i am you know scarlett johansson getting the same pay rate um as um one of the chris's i mean i mean honestly like you know uh this is a town that is, you know, you, you can do very well here, uh, and you know, uh, uh, everyone should feel very happy at any level of success that you're able to get in Hollywood. But like, there's no safety net here. Like, you can go from making like a lot of money, and then they just at a certain point will completely abandon you. Like, you're just done in this town when you're done. Aaron and Moran. Aaron Moran. She who's just, that? She uh, she's Joni. Joni loves Chachi. She oh, died. Sure, yeah. She died. And she like drank herself to death. She was like in a trailer in in like the south. And then like they they brought her out for the funeral. And like Scott Bio and Ron Howard and all these people were like reuniting and like you know taking selfies at the funeral. And I'm thinking like where the fuck were you people <laughs> when this Christ. you have millions and millions of dollars and your like friend and colleague is rotting to death. Now I don't know them well enough. Maybe they were trying to help and maybe she just couldn't get her shit together. But, like, I don't know. When you have enough money to buy yourself an island, I feel like you can get a small apartment from, for Joni from Joni Loves Chachi. She shouldn't be living in a fucking trailer when she made broadcast networks millions and millions of dollars. It's sick. I also think that there's a real – and, look, I'm not – like, I don't – whatever. I, I, don't, I don't mean to – like, I think celebrities get a little too – you know, and, and famous people get a little too uh, up their own ass with the sort of uh, – the activism around like paparazzi and stuff like that. Like, I think uh. that there's a little bit of like over exaggerating with that kind of stuff. But like, I remember when like Amanda Bynes was going crazy and how much we all just like reveled in watching her lose her mind. Uh, there's something like actually very ugly about that. Like when, a, when, you know, a celebrity or somebody in culture is like very clearly uh, going through some kind of like mental or drug episode. And we just like, it's masturbatory. We like, it on. As, as a nation are just like, look at what a fucking hot mess she's become. It's like it's like if we found like a homeless person, and we're like, what an asshole. That's a good point. But honestly, if people weren't ha constantly having mental breakdowns in public view, what would we put on social media? Like that's yeah, half of Twitter. You're absolutely right. No, we I mean, have that's to. Another thing. I, that's a, one of the things I think about social media, actually, is that like – people became so used to politicians and like celebrities making all these like weird public statements about everything that now like everybody makes weird public statements all the time. Like your like aunt will be like, I want to like address what happened uh, in Paris tonight or whatever. It's like, <laughs> not, who gives a fuck what you like? No, like why? Number one, why are you talking like that? And number two, who gives a shit? Yeah. The, the, the sort of the spokesmanization of everybody it's definitely one of the creepier things I've noticed about uh, about Facebook and its culture is like the idea that we have to all be our own publicist. We have to yeah. all mind everything we say. We're constantly being reminded that the internet is forever and that everything you do will be held on some weird permanent record in, in, in Menlo Park where if – you know, if you ever need a job, well, actually, it turns out that 15 years ago, you called someone like a, a gay wad in a YouTube chat room. So uh, you will never be able to feed your kids. Right. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's like a, a real weird obsession. The Internet loves to get people fired. It's fucking bizarre. And like, it's just, it's. Just it's even weirder when celebrities join in on that. Like when Patton Oswalt got some random troll fired from his job as like a real estate goon. And it's like. I get that that guy said something horrible. The guy made a joke about his wife dying, which was like not cool, but also like you have 
countless millions of dollars and this guy lives in like Minnesota, like in, in like a, in like a, a small town, like selling. I'll say, I'll say it once again to all these people. Like, remember how you said to not read the comments? You guys all used to say, don't read the comments. Stop fucking reading the comments. If you can't handle the comments, don't read the comments. Well, the comments are like, it's like the groundlings. It's like the people who throw tomatoes at Fozzie Bear or like the hecklers at the Cannes Film Festival. It's just all online now and people can't, I don't know. I mean, it's very strange to me. Like I've always, I've been on the internet since I was a little kid and trolling has always been a thing. It's not new, but like the war on trolling, especially from the center is a futile cause. You can't, you can't ever stop heckling. You can't ever stop the masses from telling you your shit doesn't, you know, your shit stinks. Yeah. But you can weaponize it to uh, defend your shitty politics. Right. right. You can say, like, what the um, the Tories are actually doing in the UK right now, they're basically rerunning the Bernie bro campaign yeah. by saying that, like, oh, all, the, all these labor mates are, like, uh, calling me mummy on Twitter, and it's very terrible. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're calling them Corbin chaps, right? That's what they're calling them over there. Yeah, oh God, I'm just J J Jeremy Jocks. Yeah. <laughs> Cor Corbin, I mean, he's gonna. He, I mean, it doesn't matter though. It's it's it, like I don't know how why the British. Maybe they just saw what happened here last year. They're smarter than us about all of this. Like maybe yeah, they're definitely smarter than us. Uh, they have smarter yeah. accents. Like they've got, they, they've got yeah, you can tell by their accents that they're smarter. The comedy is better. Even their telly mate is so much better. Yeah, but you gotta remember you, when people used to say that like all the time. Like you cannot <laughs> have a conversation about television without somebody telling you how much better British TV is. And then Netflix just basically put every British TV show on and it's dog shit for the most These part shows, like, aren't that good they're mostly just like shows with a british accent yeah they're just with less but a lower budget than like a wb show yeah with like a shitty frame rate i like that they changed the name of scrotal recall one season in they're like we can't call this that anymore <laughs> it's lovesick now i mean look britain they had some good shows but they have and better politics. They have better politics. Uh, it's fun watching the Tories get dunked on. It's fun watching uh, the aftermath of the Brexit. It's still fun. I mean, I thought that maybe the Brexit would be like this horrible fuck. I mean, it still could be this horrible fucking thing. But for now, you know, with the European Union basically sucking on Macron's balls while he talks about how Africans aren't civilized. Like I'm all yeah. for, I'm all for disavowing my connections to people like him and Merkel. Like they suck. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's just, it's such a tough thing because every side is so bad all the time. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to give credit to Nigel Farage and all of those, you know, all these alt-right fucks. You don't want to have someone like Marine Le Pen be emboldened, but like part of the danger of killing the left which is what corporate America, which is what Silicon Valley does, which is what any sort of oligarchy, it's in the interest of an oligarchy to kill a, kill the left, then you have a center that shifts right, and then you have a right that inevitably becomes fascist. Like, that's what's happening, and that's what will always happen. If you don't have a strong left to keep the center in line and to keep the right from essentially going full Nazi, then you've got nothing. You've only got right-wing society. It seems so obvious to me that, like, even if you don't agree with the left on a lot of issues, you want these people around just to keep, like, fucking lazy people who, like, are socially liberal but also believed in 
picking yourselves up by, you know, like, hey, you know, if, if Goldman Sachs was run by a transgender African-American, Latina, Native American woman in a wheelchair, and she was still kicking people out of their fucking homes and doubling down <laughs> on profits over everything, what does it matter if you're, if, if you're you know, diversity-centered corporate identity politic does anything? Because it doesn't. I mean, you're, if, you, if you use diversity as a plank of business, you're still going to put money before anything else. That's why for all any of these media conglomerates do, that's why in the end when you release Star Wars in China, they're going to make sure that John Boyega is real, real tiny on that poster because it costs yeah. them money. <laughs> it costs them money, and that's all they care about in the end. Like the color they care most about is green. That's why libertarians hate racism. Libertarians don't hate racism because they actually see black, brown, people, women, trans people, they don't see them as human beings. They see them as like profit. Hello, these people have money. They're going to give us money. Like, yeah, customers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all about business. It's not about humanity. <laughs> and then it's just, so it, it's very sad, I think, when you see something like anti-racism or anti-sexism get so utterly co-opted that, you know, all of a sudden bigotry is counterculture. It's cool to be racist. It's cool to be sexist because the boring people in charge tell you that that's the way it should be. I'ma tell them. Yeah. Seeds conceived in a city of sin and obscurity. Born with a number to ensure social security. The masses need herding and cleansing of their impurities. White America needs to save these lava monkeys. Hurry, please. Give them diseases and beliefs that are poison their mind. Take away their leaders and leave them receiving guns and money. You can read them and weep them. Void the voices of reason to organize a design. Avoiding the sign of treaty. Self-defeating, colonized masses. Don't know what the fuck they're reading. Breeding problems, not solutions. While pollutions exploiting. Yeah, I read somewhere that the tourism of the San Diego Comic-Con essentially makes up the vast majority of the city's budget for the summer. That most of the money that comes in and gets spent is related entirely to turning the entire city into like this nerd orgy. These are people that truly that like travel from every, you know, all the way across the country to just spend money. Like that's what it's all about. Like you go to Comic-Con to like spend all the money you got. Yeah, it's... It is, yeah, any sort of the, the come, as the geek world, I feel, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more expensive and mainstream, it feels very hard to justify the sort of, like, solidarity and camaraderie. Like, are you, you know, how much do you really right. have in common with 400,000 other people? <laughs> it, 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 is, it, it is a weird thing. Like, these things, you know used to be such like definers of our personality. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, oh, like I like this stuff and that's a big element of my personality. But like, you know, now it's kind of like being like, like, you know, I love water. Like water is, I think water is so good. I love to drink water. I guess it was never really ours to begin with because it was, True. the geek culture was always based around, you know, pro commercial properties that these mega corporations own and will right. never ever let go of. Uh, I was, I was actually thinking about like how much different, but also how much better it would be if public domain laws actually function. Like, I, like, I don't think Lovecraft fans are losing out on anything because anybody can make <laughs> Lovecraft thing or tell a Lovecraft story. Yeah, they might not get a $250 million Call of Cthulhu movie that's dog shit, but, you know. But, and, anyway. but actually, also, they still do. You know what I mean? Like, they're still going to get <laughs> yeah. budget movies. 
yeah, every so often they, they will get it. So uh, it's like, but like in Japan, the comic culture is a little different because all the comics have limited runs. And then there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of like fan made comics mm -hmm. and like underground publishing work, like the main um, manga convention called Comic Cat. And it's huge, it's huge and massive, like filled with, you know, at, at, with people and like, it's nothing but underground comics, basically. Like, like you don't see any, like, you almost see no mainstream publishers. It's all like these, you know, 30-something women making, you know, um, boy uh, sex manga. And it's cool <laughs> that, like, that's their... Yowie. That's, yeah, exactly. Like, that's their geek culture, and it's not really... Own, it's not controlled or owned by a corporation in the same way that American comics are. Like, you do have some of the mainstays like Doraemon, I guess, and Dragon Ball Z. I guess that's probably still going, but shit like well, you it's know, Dragon Ball Super now. Oh yeah, but it's like so much stuff that so much so much anime and manga, it comes and then it goes, and that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. Or it comes and then the artist, you know, never finishes it. Like the guy who draws Berserk, and he'll probably just die before it ends. And then there's really nothing the corporations want to control that can really do about it. Because they own their own works. Yeah. I, I, I was even going to say that I actually kind of think you use Dragon Ball as an example of like popcorn manga, but I actually think Dragon Ball is kind of a good example of what would have happened with a Superman story if the creator did retain control of it uh, uh, for the entire you know period of its run. Like what if the story of Superman was just one ongoing story where characters were allowed to age and all this kind of stuff? That's kind of what Dragon Ball is to me. Sorry to talk about yeah. Dragon Ball, guys. No, we're, yeah, we're allowed to talk about Dragon Ball here. <laughs> I love Dragon Ball, to be honest with you. That's, yeah, that's one benefit of manga is like characters can age and die and change. And in comic and superhero comic books, they can't. Like no. you, you always have to have – you can go away from Peter Parker for a little bit, but he's always going to come back. Bruce right. Wayne mm -hmm. is always going to be 30-something, you know. No matter how hard they try, they're always going to revert to this thing. And as long as it's still up profitable IP for movies and video games and toys, et cetera, et cetera, is never going to, you're not going to see any real change in uh, motion forward in the comics, especially since who would even be leading that charge since they change writers and editors like, you know, like it's nothing. Right. Like, and that's why it's, I think one of the sad elements about going to like artist alleys at some of these uh, conventions I've been to is, is that essentially the artists are, are usually asked by the fans to draw, you know, from their favorite runs or favorite arcs. So the artists are never, or not never, but the artists are rarely drawing their own characters as, as sort of these commissions. They're usually right. drawing the characters owned by Marvel or DC. And if yeah, you're drawing- that like have probably fired them. Right, the company that probably, you know, yeah, disposed of them. And not only that, but there's like this, there's this implicit silent agreement that the big two are actually doing the artist a favor by letting the artist make a living by drawing the Hulk. Well, like, that's that's not really fair, Jonathan. They they don't make a living. Yeah, <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's like you know these people like it's. I mean, whatever. It's it's crazy to see like the people that you know sort of came up with the concepts that are behind these like gigantic you know the biggest movies ever having to go on like GoFundMe when they get cancer or. Oh, like like Peter David, you know, to recoup his losses from his divorce or whatever that was. Oh I, I like God. Peter David, but uh, that was that was a little ridiculous. It's real sad. 
I mean, yeah. it, it's real sad because without those people, you wouldn't have, you know, any of it. You wouldn't have the movies. You wouldn't have the games. You wouldn't have the TV shows. And the people who are the building blocks, the fundamental workers behind what you read and what you consume on a weekly or monthly basis. I mean, depending on how often you buy comics, if you show up to the store every Wednesday or you download it on the app or you get trades, it doesn't really make a difference. Like right. we, we talk about the business model in a way that's very centered on the publishers rather than the actual people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, like we are, and also like, I, I think it's like weird that fans, I, I don't know. It, it's strange to me that like people, that anybody gives a fuck about how much money a movie makes. Like fans, oh, yeah, God, like, the movie does really well, and I'm like, nice. Like Ike Perlmutter just got a lot of money. Like, sweet. There is nothing grosser to me than watching fanboys obsess over a box office. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. It's fucking. It's disgusting. It's like, what do you even in? Why do you care about movies? Why do you care about ratings for TV shows? How does this impact you in any way? How much money some exec is making off of the work of a ton of people? It yeah. doesn't. What does this mean? So other people, you know that it's just as popular as you want it to be? Like, wow, uh, this made a billion dollars, therefore I am validated in enjoying this thing that was custom made to be as widely appealing as possible? Right. <laughs> I mean, that is ultimately the thing. It's like, these are, yeah, these are like the most popular movies of all time. <laughs> like, yeah, what okay, do you, yeah. They're, they're, how they're sad well. is that? How sad is that? Yeah, that these very, are the most sad. popular movies of all time, and that's what you would base your identity on. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, corporate manufactured thing that ultimately means nothing and that they're going to replace in five years. Like, I guess that's a, if that's your identity, um, that's a good, I guess that's a good one to have identity to have under late capitalism. I, I mean, guess it certainly seems like an easy company. identity to have. Yeah. I mean, I think like there is an element of e at least comic books uh, and and fa and fandom culture has always been marketed as a niche towards people who feel marginalized whether they are or not. And yeah. I think the video game industry did that for a very long time too. And just eventually you get to a point where it's like, this is so big, this is so mainstream, I can't justify claiming that this is a, an actual part of my identity right. anymore. Is, I feel like is, a fucking fool. It is not unique to like Star Wars. And I love Star Wars. You know what I yeah. mean? I, I have such strong feelings about Star Wars, but one of those feelings is not that it is unique of me to like the most popular movie ever made. Yeah, it's not special. And that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. That doesn't mean you can discuss it, dissect it. That doesn't mean you can't make it... Uh, a part of you know your hobbies and entertainment but like holy shit a little bit of perspective here right i mean again, my, my, my thing is this is that like ultimately like i agree with you Elizabeth, that these are just like corporate owned creations like it's it's like you know having investment in like the mcrib or something like that but i still do think that these like characters themselves somehow transcend you know that whole corporate thing like they, these are sort of our like mythic american you know gods that we that we've created a, as a people and so I, I do look back on like you know kirby and all those guys that i'm with with awe uh but i i do think it's sad uh, uh how corrupted all of these characters have become i think it's really sad too that the fans in general have sort of turned against the creators rights debate yeah which used to be which used to sort of be like i feel a, a hallmark 
uh, of the fandom culture, that people stuck with their writers, that people stuck with their artists, that people were loyal to the people yeah. who were toiling away making stuff. And now, like, if you go on, like, I remember I was on, like, uh, one of these message boards of every, they'll, they'll interview Alan Moore now and then, and he'll always say, like, I've never seen Watchmen, I'll never read any of the sequel comics, fuck the, fuck the conglomerates. And instead of people going, well, well, good for him, you know, I understand that, they'll go, fuck Alan Moore, he's so ungrateful, look how famous and successful he is now, you know? Right. He's just I a mean, bitter old man, he's, he's the, just a crazy. Yeah, it's because these people feel bad about how he's right. About how Alan yeah. Moore like looked into a black magic crystal ball and saw the actual truth. Yeah, he invalidates the idea that they're sexy badass rebels for right. like for eating this corporate shit up. You know, like he is the actual re rebel. He's the creator who said who could you know still be writing you know anything he wants for DC or Marvel, but he has too much principle yeah. to do it. And just him taking that stand, that principle stance, makes people uncomfortable he's not going out telling people that they can't read this or that comment he's just saying he's saying those comments are shit and he doesn't approve of them but he's not yeah. saying you can't watch it or can't enjoy it but the very fact that he's taking a stand on on creative principle makes people hate that a lot <laughs> when yeah. entertainers do that like you see it in wrestling like when i mentioned cm punk earlier he was a guy who basically left the WWE because they treated him like shit and almost got him killed basically by not treating his uh, infection and like a concussion. Mm, he had. Right. And wrestling fans, even the woke ones, right. Were like, like turned on him and said, you know, he's kind of ungrateful. He shouldn't have left. Like they were, they gave him all these tiles and this and that. And he's been like, they literally almost killed him. He would be <laughs> dead if he stayed with that company. And so, you know, why are you siding with this? corporation that really didn't do anything but you know build a ring for the guy you like to wrestle in like that's, he's I, the talent I, I also feel like a, a, i feel like i felt the same way about the Chappelle thing when Chappelle left Chappelle shows that like like so many people were like so mad at him for giving up the money when i actually thought that was like one no of the ball. cooler things i've ever seen anyone do like where he's like you know what like it's an insane amount of money but i i do feel like this is creatively wrong i want to leave but the reaction to that was everyone like thought he was like an, like an asshole for like not taking money. It's weird. It's like we have a culture where people are expected to, you know, seek maximum profit by any means right. necessary. And if they actually do put their creative integrity ahead of it, then they are to be shamed rather than lauded. And yeah. I feel I feel that that development and that ideology within fan culture has only grown over the last 10 years. I think a lot of it, I mean, this has to do with, you know, not just fan culture, but a lot of things is like our brains got really fucked up by that recession. Like everyone's yeah. brains got super fucked up by that recession. And so now when you see someone like taking a principled stand, the way people interpret it is like, this guy isn't grateful for having a job. We're also like desperate to do jobs, any jobs that uh, uh, we resent people who, who don't want to do them. Yeah, any passion industry, any creative industry, it's very hard to get people to side with those workers because those uh, it's very easy, especially when you have such corporate dominance over society to manipulate people into saying, these people want to take your comics away by demanding more. They want more rights, they want more money, they want more ownership of their product. 
But if they get that, that means you won't get this every week. You won't get this every month. They're going to take away your opiates. And Mm -hmm. that freaks people out. They don't want to lose their comics. They don't want to lose their TV. They don't want to lose their wrestling. So they'll side with whoever promises them more for less. And uh, we we really have, in the end, we did this idea of corporations being people like that is that is the way it is now. We have accepted that corporations are people. We've accepted that like people, they have feelings and they have opinions and uh, you know, I, personally, like when I see a comic book writer or any artist, you know, uh, threatening to quit a job or taking a principled stand, I feel bad that they hurt the corporation's feelings. I think it's mean to the corporation <laughs> to do that. Why are we doing this and what is this about? Uh, because I think I think as we keep going, it will become even clearer and clearer. And I think it is pretty clear but, but what yeah. we're trying to do. It, yeah, I think you even said it, Pat, when we were talking about it originally. Maybe we just need to clear, like state it more concisely is that it's just, you know, a look at pop culture that isn't judgmental to fans but also isn't reverent to the companies that own them. You know what right. I mean? Right. I mean, it's it's... To me, it's like the most obvious thing in the world that, like, when you go after, uh, ne- if when when you're targeting the negative impact of pop culture on people, which is a thing, definitely. Like, pop culture is how I would argue most Americans actually view the world. I agree. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but you have to be careful as to not make the people who enjoy these things feel like they're fucking monsters. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, they're gonna. They're going to dig down. They're going to dig in. You're going to have Gamergate all over again. It's it's like if you, when we, we live in an era where anybody can make their identity about anything, including the products they enjoy, especially right. including the products they enjoy. So people don't just take cultural criticism as 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 a thing on its in itself. They, I, I, they, they take I, it as personal yeah. attacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like every time like some – you know, academic, you know, kind of take on, you know, this, like I saw one thing was like, we need to talk about the toxic masculinity and future mixtapes. I'm like, <laughs> what or What do you think you're accomplishing with that? Like nobody listens to the future wants to hear that. They just see your hot take tile. They're going to dismiss you. And they're also going to dismiss the issues you are talking about in the future. They're going to see them as just a very centrist, thing of very you know uh puritanical thing basically taking away their enjoyment of just some shit that they want to listen to on their way home from their shitty job you know like that academic style of criticism people always say well you don't think academic you know cultural critique has value i'm like honestly not really not outside (laughs) of a classroom not when it comes to fucking comic books and (laughs) movies and wrestling like i mean there is a there is you know some value to it but it's not uh, not yeah. to this level you know what i not, mean and not like the, not the pure unfiltered shit right. you can't 
you can't put that uncut shit on the streets for people at people because they're gonna they're gonna OD like it's gonna drive <laughs> it's gonna drive the woke people insane to where they think every fucking thing is problematic while actually understanding the analysis and all and everybody else is gonna be just think you're a bunch of fucking uh, I don't know just over like pretenders, you know, trying to take shit away from them who just hate everything that's cool, especially since that criticism is never like elevates anything. It's, it's, yes, it's, it's all teared down. It's all teared down culture. I mean, a lot of what this is, I think, is that like, it's it's fun to bully. Like it's fun to right. be a bully and like- And it's that, fun to now, bully. Now it's like become, it's not, you know, it's become uh, not acceptable to be a bully anyone, anymore, but people still want that like bully feeling. So we found like new, you know, self-righteous ways to to be a bully i mean it, it's classic vampire squid castle you know mark fisher stuff where basically <laughs> when <laughs> a vampire squid, vampire castle. squid castle mark <laughs> it, but no it's like it's it, it's it's mark mark fisher talked about this a lot i mean mark fisher was driven to suicide by these crazy fucking people they they told him he had to be ashamed for that piece he wrote but he's right like there is a moralistic church-like attitude on certain elements. I mean, you're seeing them really pop up in the center hard, but it, it yeah. was always that the left was the domain of academic righteousness, and that's been taken over by the center. And then you have the left in a position where it's like, well, how do we distinguish ourselves culturally from these fucking assholes? Like, that's what it boils down to. You're not going to build a good left by telling people that they should feel bad for enjoying watching wrestling. You're right. not going to build a good left by telling people yeah. that the lyrics they enjoy are problematic. You're going to these people you're going to have an everyday worker go, "Uh, no, I like this. Fuck yourself." Uh there's a place for learning about gender theory, um but for me personally, I don't turn to uh justice mixtapes for that. Yeah. Fuck, for future mixtapes, not justice. God damn it. Oh, the just how'd you mix up justice with future? <laughs> because it's just the UT. It's like the ah, whatever. It's fucking hot in my room, guys. He's white. It's okay. <laughs> I'm white. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I actually love future. Whatever. Now I feel like now I do feel now, like it. And Jack's the clansman of the group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why it's problematic to uh, miss Oof. the dead name future. Oof, dead naming. But that's that's where we are. It's like a slip of the tongue can get you excommunicated in certain circles, especially online. And it's stupid. It's toxic. It's counterproductive. And it's terrible for recruitment. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Struggle Session. Uh, subscribe to us on Patreon. If you'd like to shoot us an email, hit us up at thestrugglesession at gmail.com. We are at strugglesession.us if you'd like to check out our Tumblr. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, not me, but us in general, check out at Struggle Sesh, S-E-S-H. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.